Another day, another dollar makes you wonder where your money went. Hi, folks. This is Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Today is Monday, May the 4th, 2009, and uh, today we're going to talk about a subject that's uh, big with me, and I've talked about it before, but I'm going to talk about it today from a little bit of a different viewpoint, and that is debt elimination. And I know sometimes when I do the economic shows or the political shows, some of you guys are like, ah, man, I, I just want to stick to, like, the, the true survival topics. Well, trust me, this is a survival topic. In fact, that's the way I'm going to come at this today. I'm going to come at why debt elimination and money management are as important to survivalism as any other aspect, maybe more important in certain ways, and how the two cannot be separated from each other. You cannot be a survivalist that depends on American Express, you know, Mastercard and Visa. That's that's the case I'm going to make for you today. Anyway, let's uh, let's go ahead and knock out some house cleaning first. Uh, let me answer a question that came in on the blog that I just haven't had the, the time to, to sit down and type an answer to. Uh, I did a show recently about a, a, a potential for a global food shortage, and one of the things I talked about was the depletion of the fossil aquifers, the uh, the deep aquifers. And uh, how we are pumping more water out of them uh, than, than we really should be, because the shallow aquifers are uh, are actually you know becoming empty because we're we're pumping that so fast that the rain can't replenish it, and we're looking at a real water shortage, especially in the middle middle United States and northern China, uh, two of the, the largest agricultural producing regions in the world. Well, somebody asked me about my place up in uh, at Hot Springs, and since even though that water actually comes out of the ground, which is kind of different for something considered a fossil aquifer. Usually a fossil aquifer is like an underground sea. There is no, there's no exit point for it. The Hot Springs Reservoir, the underground reservoir, is actually considered a fossil aquifer because of its age. It is not the same type of thing. This person said, well, you know, do you have to worry about your aquifer being depleted? Yeah, not really. Um, even if it were a fossil aquifer, a true fossil aquifer, which, which it is not, um, at least not in the same context that, that like, the Ogala and the Saudi aquifers are. The the problem with those other two areas, the Ogala in, in the middle United States, uh, down in the Texas Panhandle, and the northern China Saudi aquifer, is that there's massive agriculture around them actually pumping from them. No one's doing that with the water there. So that's the answer to that question or concern. And the, again, I want to make sure that maybe it applies across the board. People don't think that everywhere you are with a well, you're in danger of your water running dry. I mean, that's a very regional thing. And I can't say you're not, but I also am not saying you are either. You need to look at what's going on in your region, how deep your well is, what the water tables usually are. Has it ever had problems in the past? If so, what caused them? All that type of thing. So I just knocked that little question out. The other thing I want to do is just our typical house cleaning. You know, number one, if you uh, if you think you get more than a quarter's worth of value per episode, consider joining the uh, Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade. You get exclusive content available only to members. Again, this weekend sucks, so we didn't shoot any video. 
We're going to shoot a video tonight, though. We picked a whole bunch of uh, sugar snap peas. We're going to do a quick video tonight on uh, how to properly blanch vegetables for freezing. And you could also, if you're doing dehydration, the blanching is the same procedure. So even though we won't be going over dehydration tonight for the members' videos, uh, the process will still be the same. Next thing, uh, you know, do consider supporting our sponsors. They're in the right-hand margin of the site. Uh, You know, check out, um, excuse me. Anyway, check out Tactical Response Gear, James Jagger's uh, site. Awesome stuff there. Check out uh, Ready Made Resources. They're, they have a lot of really cool stuff as well. Those two guys have uh, agreed to support the show long term. So uh, do what you can to throw those guys some business. Uh, next thing, Region 5's big bug out, camp out, get together. Getting very, very close to that date. Uh, come on down to Gulfway, Texas. Uh, there's information on the uh, thread. Uh, that's in the forum. I'll put a link to it from today's show. Got an email from somebody wanting to hook up with uh, with somebody from San Antonio. So if you're willing to uh, maybe ride share with someone from San Antonio, this guy's a vet being relocated that would like to come. Um, post to the thread and say, hey, I'm the guy you know that's willing. I don't really want to get into the matchmaking business here or anything, uh, but there is a guy looking to ride share. And if you got anybody's looking to do that, maybe kind of caravan together, what have you, you know, use that that thread to uh, to try to reach out to each other. And uh, I'm just going to let the house cleaning wrap up there today so I can get right on into the show. That's uh, that's enough for today. Um, so the subject of debt elimination, here's why I decided to do this show this way. I've been starting to get a lot of media coverage, uh, mostly radio. I've been doing quite a few radio interviews here and there. And uh, big news, I'm actually going to be on Lou Rockwell's podcast uh, either Wednesday or Thursday this week. So that's going to be really cool as well. And Lou's actually uh, proposed the idea of doing uh, several of them in a series with him. That's a big honor for me. I don't think this will be an issue there. But everywhere else, whenever we start talking, Talking uh, uh, with, with somebody that's in the media, of course, it's you know a ten-minute segment, so they have to nail it. They have to knock it out quick, and maybe they saw the article that went out around in the newspapers across the country or whatever, and and they just want to know the kind of what I would call the sexy survival stuff. Now, I don't think it's sexy, but it's sexy to the media, right? And that is things like you know your guns, your beans, your bullets. You got a food stored up. You know, you got your guns. You got your your you know, they think you have all. They all think you have a compound somewhere with like 40 crazy maniacs or something and you pull that back into reality pretty quick for them and, and you just say I'm just a normal guy like everybody else but here's what I do and here's how I run my household and then they're cool with that but they still want to talk about the food, the, the, the ammo the generator sets I mean they want to talk about the stuff that people think of when they think of survivalism well I always bring the subject of elimination of debt and understanding how to manage and control your money and they never want to talk about that and they always do that well that's kind of a different subject, you know, that's it, you know, and then, oh, the economy's already crashed, so it's after the fact and what have you. Now, the reality is, I understand why they're doing this. They brought me on to fill their agenda, which is to talk about the stuff that people think of when they think of survivalism. And they only got ten minutes, so they can't have me talking for two and a half of them on the economy and on, on debt elimination. And it doesn't sound like survivalism. But the reality is, it's fundamental to survivalism. And I'll tell you this, if you have a massive pile of debt, and you don't have a plan in place to eliminate it, you're not a survivalist. 
And I, I make no apologies for that statement. And I didn't say you, you had to, you know, you have to get, be done with your debt in, in two years or one year or six months or ten years or any number. All I'm saying is if you have a lot of debt and you have no plan whatsoever and you're not actively working a plan to eliminate it, as small as it may be, you're not a survivalist because you're not following the rules of survival, which is to put yourself in a position with the greatest opportunity to survive any situation that comes your way, not just to live through it, but to come through it better than those that are typically around you. That's what survivalism really is all about. The swine flu has illustrated this for us perfectly, and I'm going to reference it quite a bit in today's show, uh, not because I think it's it's the you know major issue that it was last week. I think people are coming into grips with reality with at least this wave of it not really being that big of a deal. But it showed us how panic-ridden society is. We saw people lining up to buy flu masks. Now, they're probably taking a greater risk standing in line at Rite Aid than they were preventing with a mask to be infected with anything. Because that's where sick people go, to the pharmacy to get their medication. We've seen school closings like crazy rampant across the country. We've seen school districts where nobody even has it, but the, the adjoining school district has it, so they've closed the school. We've seen athletic events canceled. We've seen just major stupidity. Why? Because nobody knows what to do. And when people don't know what to do, they're scared. So they feel, I have to do something, so they take an action, whether it's intelligent or not. That's exactly what being deeply in debt leads to. It's the exact same phenomena. Now, let's look at what's going on in our economy. Let's look at a lot of people uh, that listen to this show are the type of people that would have never voted for Barack Obama. Maybe you weren't in love with John McCain, but you would have never voted for Barack Obama. Last guy you would have voted for. And now that you're seeing all this big government come out of him and people go, oh, whoa, what's going on? You're sitting here going, what did you expect? What did you expect from this guy? What, did you expect him to spend a trillion dollars of taxpayer money we don't have? Well, why were people willing to sign up for that deal? Because they were in shock, and they were in crisis, and they were freaking out. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how I'm going to get by. I need the government to save me, because they're the only ones that look big enough to save me right now. Why were people in that state? They were in that state more than anything else because of debt. And I don't care how much got nuked out of the 401k. I really don't care. Guy's 40 years old, just lost $200,000 in his 401k. Doesn't affect him for at least 23, what, 20 years, 59 and a half, earliest possible date he can plan on taking that money out. Doesn't really affect him. 20 years. Guy's 30 years old, 30 years. And most people don't quit working at 59 and a half. So it's, you know, add another five years minimum to that. What's caused the panic isn't 401ks crashing. It's the consequence of an overall market crash resulting in a downturning economy that has caused people to start laying off workers and pushing up the unemployment rate to where people either don't have a job and are trying to figure out how to get by, well, they're terrified they're going to lose their job, and if I lose my job, oh, my God, how am I going to get it by? Okay? So 
here's a solution. I don't like it, but if they spend all this money, surely it has to fix the economy. Now, that's ignorance. That's not how the economy works. You can't just create money out of thin air and dump it in. We'll get a short-term bubble out of this thing probably next year. It'll look really good for the midterm elections. If you're sitting on a house you've been waiting to sell, that'll probably be the time to sell it. But that will be a short-term bubble. You can't put more money into the monopoly game and keep prosperity long-term. But people make these deals because of fear. So I want to contrast for you two individuals. John. John works a typical American job. He busts his ass. He makes about $50,000 a year. John lives in a $210,000 home with a mortgage for about the entire balance. He pays high property taxes as well. He's got a MasterCard on his MasterCard. is about $9,000 in debt. He's got a wife that likes to buy shoes, so she's racked up about $12,000 in debt on the other credit card. Don't call it sexist. We could change it to Jane being the one with the smaller. Don't, don't focus on that. Focus on the numbers. Okay, they've got a couple kids. The kids are involved in a lot of sporting activities that are a drain on the finances, but they figure it's worth it. They drive two relatively brand new vehicles. Each of their vehicles is worth about $35,000. Okay, a $50,000 income uh, household. Uh, the wife works too. She makes, let's say, 40. So they make about 90 together. So this is a good solid income, but their, their debt to income ratio is way out of whack. Now, no banks going to tell them it's out of whack, especially as long as they're paying their bills on time. They're just fine as long as the 90000 keeps coming in, sort of. Those two credit card debts, the way they're living, are probably never going to get paid off. In fact, they're likely to grow. Okay? Now, let's look at another household. This is Tom. Tom has the same $50,000 a year job. He's got a wife. She makes the same forty, so they have the same $90,000 a year income. They have decided that credit card debt is evil, so they have zero credit card debt. One way or another, they paid it off. They also, when they bought their home, didn't believe that they could afford a quarter-million-dollar home or somewhere thereabouts, so they shopped a little bit smarter, and they spent $140,000 on their home. So they have a house payment right in at about $1,000 a month, including their taxes and insurance, maybe $1,100, $1,200 top end for some areas of the United States with that value of a home. They do have nice vehicles, but they bought their vehicles staggered out. They bought one vehicle new, and they waited at least three years into it before they bought a second vehicle. They financed the first vehicle on four years instead of five, and somebody just has to drive the older car to and from work. They never have more than one vehicle plus a year of financing on any of their vehicles. In fact, as their vehicles get paid off, they drive them until they're damn near ready to go in the ground, and they just make sense to buy a new vehicle. They buy smart. And they make sure that they have a reserve backup vehicle in the form of a decent used car that they paid cash for. All right? Who is more likely to make a bad decision because of economic news? Who is more likely to make a deal with the devil, being the government, to protect their future? Now, if Tom knuckles down and pays his house off and he has zero house payment on top of all this, then it's going to be really easy for him to pay cash for his vehicles going forward. 
And Tom and his wife, Tina, are stockpiling cash every single paycheck. Even if they're putting a big piece of money into like an IRA or 401k or what have you, and hopefully they're being conservative with their investments when it's right to be conservative and aggressive when it's right to be aggressive. But even with that money going in there, they're still taking a big chunk and they're stockpiling cash, readily accessible money they can get their hands on. You're in that situation. The government offers you a shiny thing. The corporation offers you a shiny thing. Who's more likely to bite? John is. John is more likely to buy something that he can't afford than Tom. I know that doesn't seem to make any sense, because Tom has more money. Tom has more disposable income. But Tom's money, is you know, the balance he looks at every month is his money. John's balance every month is the money he owes. After several years of paying on it and see that balance going nowhere, up or down, he figures the hell with it. What the hell is the difference? This thing's only a hundred bucks. I don't feel like blowing the cash, and it goes on the credit card. That's how they ended up in nine thousand on one and fourteen thousand on the other in the first place. Because ah, it, oh, it's just this or ah, oh, it's just that. We're a little short this month. Well, I want to do this anyway. I deserve it. Where in Tom's family. They're looking at every month the savings account balance, and they're saying, this is our money. This isn't money for when we retire. This is money right now that protects us, that defends us, and they value it more. So when he sees something that he wants, he sits there and he looks at the money and he sees that balance, and he says, okay, it's either not going to grow by as much because I'm going to have to reduce my contribution, or it's actually going to go down a little because I'm going to take some money out of here. And it's a much more difficult decision to say yes to when it actually is your money and you know it. Because when you spend it as debt, it's your money. You just fool yourself into believing it's not. So the entire point from right in the beginning is that if you are in debt, you're more likely to get deeper in debt. And if you're not in debt, you're more likely to stay out of it. And as long as you're in debt, you're more likely to make poor decisions. The next side of this is, think about the things that I tell you you need to be doing. Immediately get yourself into one month of reserve food. That's really not the most difficult thing in the world to do. You probably have a week or two on your shelf on a daily basis anyway, so slowly ramp up to one month of reserved food as quickly as you can. Once we get past that, start thinking about the other things. I'll tell you, make sure that you're doing some investing outside of conventional investments like stocks and bonds. Put 10% of your money into gold. 10% of your investment savings money into gold. Well, if your investment savings money is 100 bucks a month, if that's all you're saving, and don't feel bad if you're saving 100 bucks a month and you're paying down debt like crazy, that's okay. But if you have no debt and you're only saving 100 bucks, or you can only save 100 bucks because your debt is taking away all your money, 10% of, 10, of $100 is 10 bucks. Which gold are you going to buy for 10 bucks? I guess you could go out and buy a silver quarter or two every month. You see what I'm saying about that particular side of things. The other thing I'm going to tell you to do is things like, well, you need to be able to defend your home. If you do not own a weapon, you need to go out and purchase a firearm after you take some firearms training if you've never owned a firearm before and you haven't been trained in the proper use of it. Well, the weapons cost money, the ammunition costs money, and the training costs money. It's all money well spent. But if you're $80,000 in debt, and you're spending every dime you have, and you're afraid you're going to get laid off, and that's why you're looking at this in the first place, you don't have the money 
to make those steps. And everything else that we do as survivalists tends to cost us money. Even the things that save us money long term, putting in a garden. Putting in a garden in your first year, your very first year, in most instances is a money sink. You will lose money your first year. You won't lose a lot. You may even break even, but you still have the cash outlay first to do it. So the other reason you have to eliminate debt to be a survivalist is to free up funding so that you can purchase the things in your life that actually last and are long-term assets that improve your survivability. How are you going to be a survivalist if you're dead-ass broke? Let me think. Let me get you to think about another thing here. What do you think of a person that says, I'm a survivalist, but the first reaction that they have when they hit adversity is to whip out the Amex card? Think about it. I'm a survivalist. Well, we're kind of screwed here. Don't worry, I got my Amex. Now, I'm not... I don't think credit cards in of themselves are the devil. They do have a purpose and they do have a place. I'm not exactly sure what it is anymore because I've so banished them from my own life, you know, I don't really need one anymore. Especially when they came out with the credit check card, right, where you've got a checking account card with a Visa logo on it. So when somebody says, I need you to take, take a credit card number from you, I use my cash to pay for it. So I really don't get the purpose of a credit card anymore. But I'm not here to bash the credit card. I'm just saying, is that self-sufficiency? I'll just go into debt to solve my problem. If you think about it, isn't that exactly what our nation is doing right now? Our nation is in trouble. Greatest crisis since the Great Depression, which I also think is crap. At least in the way that the statement is being made today. So what are we going to do? We're going to go borrow a bunch of money and spend it. <laughs> All right? That doesn't work. But it's, it, it, it makes perfect sense. People look at this and go, how does this make any sense? It makes perfect sense. People do it every day. I'm in trouble, so I'm going to go to the well for a little bit more water that I'm going to put on my, you know, my debt book. But eventually it will work itself out. It's what our government's doing. It's what countless Americans do. It's how they get themselves into problems. And it leads to something else. And that other thing is dependence. I mean, the biggest thing that we talk about here, the biggest overriding theme, day in, day out on the Survival Podcast, and day in and day out on survivalist discussion forums and things like that across the Internet, you might not see the word very much, but you see the ideal in everything people talk about doing. Independence. To make yourself not dependent on systems of support that people tend to take for granted. So if you want to be a survivalist, you need to be as independent as possible. And independent is not really as, as dead on as I would say as being self-sufficient. Able to provide for yourself, but not just provide for yourself. To make the decisions about your life on your own terms. If you think about something simple like having a bug out location, a place to go to. If you ever get into a point where you're told you have to leave your primary residence. There's some sort of threat. doesn't really matter what it is. Evacuate. Get out now. Right? 
If you have a bug out location, you do that evacuation on your terms, especially if you have a plan to do so and you've prepared in advance to go there. Now you just pick up and you do the planning that you had to do. If you do not have a place to go to, if you do not have a plan, if you do not have preparations made in advance, you become dependent on the system and you end up either having to bunk with a relative you never, and there's nothing wrong with that if that's your plan, but having to phone up Uncle Mike who you haven't seen for five years and say, dude, we need a place to stay, that makes you dependent on Uncle Mike. It makes you live under his rules in his house with absolutely no clout whatsoever to make your own decisions about what you do in his home because it was a last-minute thing, and he said, yeah, sure, come on. Whereas if you had talked to Uncle Mike in advance and said, Uncle Mike, here's the deal. One day this could happen, and we might need a place to go. Likewise, something may happen where you're at, and you may need to come here. Now you're on a field of equals. It just so happened that you were the one that came in and need first. But the very fact that he would have been able to come to you if the situation had been reversed changes the entire dynamic of how the household runs. When you look at debt this way, it's much more sinister because MasterCard isn't your Uncle Mike and MasterCard doesn't give a shit about you. MasterCard doesn't care about you. They don't like you. The only thing you are to them is an account number that makes them money. And all they're worried about doing is managing you in a way that makes you as profitable to them as possible. That's their primary objective. That is what they are required by law to do for the shareholders that don't stock in their company, to focus on profit. As long as it's legal, you do it. Morals and ethics out the freaking window. You do morals and ethics when you get caught and you cover your ass for PR. That's how credit card companies run. Not some of them, all of them. Because that's their job, to make money by lending you money. When you're in that situation, they call the shots. You are their slave. Now, something very interesting is going on right now in our government that is a, you know, a, macro, a, a macro view of the micro world of the individual consumer. Those of you who have made a final payment to your credit card company, paid off your credit card, and then made the most enjoyable phone call you've probably ever made in your life. Hi, Visa. This is Jack. I'd like to ask you to cancel my account. What always happens? Why, sir? Why would you want to cancel your account with us? You have a great uh, credit limit with us. You you can borrow up to $25,000. And, sir, I, I see that your, your balance is now zero. Um, because of that, we'll lower your interest rate. We'll r- raise your credit rate. We'll waive any fees or annual membership dues. They press back. They don't want you to cancel the account. They don't even care... If you don't immediately start borrowing money again, they just want you to keep your credit with them because they know that sooner or later, in most instances, that something in your life will happen that as long as that credit card's in your wallet, you'll pull it out and rely on it. That'll put a running balance back on, and then the gerbil wheel starts all over again. In other words, they still control you. And then they'll start to do things if you don't cancel your account. We have one credit card account we've kept open. Just in case we ever need it for any type of major emergency where it's just we got to go to the well and it's there. And we should probably cancel it since it's not even an option. And-
and I, I think we probably will. It's just something that long ago we thought about that way, and it's just kind of sat there. And it's been a zero balance for years. And every once in a while, they send us in the mail, and I've asked them to stop doing this because of the risk, to my credit, of somebody getting their hands on these checks, but they send us blank checks. You don't want to use your card? Spend it as a check. Write yourself a check and put the money in the bank. Do whatever you... Please put a balance back with us. All they're trying to do is get us back into debt with them so that they, once again, have control over the situation. What's going on in our government that's just like this? I think it's J.P. Morgan. J.P. Morgan Chase, I think, wants to pay back their TARP funds. They've, they've, rectif- they've fixed their business model. They're start- they've returned to profitability. They have enough cash to get by, and they want to take the millions that the government pumped into them, and they want to pay back the government. Here's your money, Mr. Government. Take it back. You would think that the government would be ringing bells and screaming and yelling and going, Look, woohoo! see, Obama is the savior! Look, it worked! They're giving the money back. Now, I would probably say, well, George Bush gave them the money, right? Just just to throw a cog in the works, because I don't want any of them to be getting the money in the first place. I think the whole thing was a mess. But why would our government say to J.P. Morgan Chase, you know, Keep the millions. Keep keep the money. Don't pay it back just yet. You know, we're, we're worried that you're not really as well off as, as, as you think you are. We don't really need it yet. You know, that's what the money's there for. You know, use it to improve your operations. Don't pay it back yet. Why in the hell, after all the bad feelings from the general public about all this money going into the banking system, when one of the banks is ready to give the money back, would the government not take it back and make a big deal out of it? They don't want it back. The banks were never supposed to pay it back. You tell me if this sounds like a credit card company to you. As long as the government has the loan out and the money is owed to the government in the form of taxpayer money, the government gets to exercise control over the entity that has the money. They get to do things like say, hey, 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 you know what? Uh, we, we're, not, we're not cool with this, uh, this executive bonus schedule. I know you guys made money now, but, you know, hey, you guys still have that money. Hey, well, you know, so they get to exercise control. Now, the control is different that MasterCard exerts over Tom Consumer than the federal government exercises over J.P. Morgan, but the dynamic is identical. As long as you owe me money, I get what I want from you. The credit card company gets exorbitant interest rates and gets a continued uh, income vehicle in the form of you that lasts for years and years and years on a relatively secure investment overall because you are worried about your credit. So as long as you can pay your bill, you're going to pay the bill. And as soon as you stop, they're going to put their thugs out calling you 24-7 to make you pay your bill. So, And on top of this, they charge so much interest that the accounts that do default are you know made up for by those that don't and many of the accounts that default they sell the business off 10 cents on the dollar to a collection agency the collection agency takes over the mafiosa role of harassing the debtor and trying to get the money out of them and the credit card company writes it off as a lot a loss and it was probably extremely profitable business because what they ended up doing is they dumped your five thousand dollars worth of credit card debt and you owe five grand, but in the time you tried to pay off the five grand and, and failed, you might have spent ten thousand dollars in payments. 
and you still owe $5,000, they've doubled their money, then they've sold you for another uh, $500 at 10 cents on the dollar, and then they wrote you off as a loss for that year because they declared a profit on you the prior year. And then they do it again. And then they do it again. And all it comes down to is control. And you never make the right decisions when you're deeply in debt. That's when you make foolish decisions. That's when you get scared. That's when you overreact. It's exactly the same as what you saw people doing with the swine flu. All the people that panicked were one of two sides. They were the conspiracy theory whacked out all the way on the fringe, tinfoil hat wearing nut jobs. And they were sure this was the big one. The FEMA camps are getting fired up. They're going to start rounding us up and forcing us to take these vaccines and exterminating us. You can't help those people. You really can't. It's going to be up to them to kind of eventually look at things and start asking some tough questions and start to realize that, hey, I've gone too far. So you just got to write that off and let those people do whatever they want to do. And the good thing about them is a lot of times they're the ones that dig up real crap. They just keep going too far with it. So they feed us information. Good people, but you can't help them when they start talking like, you know, saying the trucks are running around carrying vaccine that's actually a way to infect us. And being taken down into, you know, underground elevators and the truckers are being paid with debit cards. And that, that story really came out. You can't help that person. The other side was the general public. They freaked the hell out. I was shopping this weekend. All right, Saturday, we were at the grocery store. And this lady's going, and my kids aren't going to school. I don't care. If I'm not taking any chances at all. And she's standing in a grocery store. She's being exposed to thousands and thousands of people. People are touching things, moving food around. She's working on a cash register. Beep, beep, beep. Everything she touched was just touched by the person that's buying the food. And then she's going home to her kids. But she's worried about them going to school. Now, if there really was a big-time threat right now, she shouldn't be at work if that's the way she really believes. What she was doing is behaving completely irrationally. You know, the little boy I told you the story about last week that was wearing a flu mask in Mexico, and he lifted his flu mask, drank from a soda bottle, and put the flu mask back on. That is an epic failure, as my son said. But he was a little boy. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand. He probably doesn't even know why he's wearing the mask. He does sort of. But, like, he didn't do it because he wanted to. Like, his mom said, here, you must wear this, right? And he did what he was told to do. You know, but but he doesn't get it. So you can understand that. But this lady, old enough to have children at home that are in school, she does know, but she can't think right. Her brain is plugged up with nonsense because she's in a panic mode, so she can't think. What do we teach people about wilderness survival? You know, hardcore, you're stuck out in the woods. What's the first thing you do? Stop. It's the first step in any survival. You know, unless there's a boulder coming down a hill to flatten you out, but you've realized that you're lost, you're stuck, maybe or maybe not injured, doesn't really matter, but one way or another, you're not going to be sleeping in your own bed tonight. And you really don't know where you are and you don't know what to do. First thing you do when you realize that, immediately stop. Assess the situation. Start to think. Formulate a plan. You're better off sitting still. And even if you end up staying overnight in that place, put something together, give yourself some shelter, stay put and think. Get up with a clear head, 
and start trying to find your way out, odds are somebody might find you while you wait there. But don't immediately react before you assess the situation and form a a concept of what to do. Everybody that's been panicking about this flu has been doing exactly the opposite. And they've been doing the opposite because no one ever said, hey, when there's a panic situation, the first thing you do is stop. Assess your capabilities. Determine where you're weakest and shore them up and go forward with as much confidence as you can have. They've never heard that message. Well... That was swine flu, but that's what happens with people with dead every day, and they're completely unaware of it. Something happens, and they are thinking in the back of their head, even when it's not in the forefront of their mind, oh, my God, and it happens in the office all the time or on the job site all the time. A worker is being forced to do something that they know they shouldn't do, that, it's, that it, they should be drawing the line here. Maybe it's not illegal, but to them it's immoral. To them it's wrong. Or they're being abused. There's there's countless things that go on every day where people are working a job. And it's not just they don't like it, because no one loves their job except a few rare exceptional people. Most people wish they on Monday morning they're not in a hurry to get to the to get to the, to work. But there are points where they really should go, no, I'm not doing this. Or, no, you're not going to talk to me that way. Or what have you. And they don't do it. And they go deeper and deeper in misery. You know why? i got to pay my mortgage. i got to put food on the table. Oh, i got all those credit card bills. Damn it, i got to make this car payment. Damn it, i got to pay for my insurance on my car. And it's exorbitant interest rate or exorbitant insurance rates because I have to cover like all this massive full coverage beyond what the car's even worth anymore because I've been paying on it for two years because the lien against it is so high. I have to insure it at least as much for that. Oh, i got to do this. Take away debt. I don't have to do this. And those people generally actually excel in their careers. They go further in their careers. They might lose a job here or there. But that integrity, when they're in the right place, will help them become very, very successful. And they'll have more. Everything is backwards. Common sense works, but it has to be an underlying intrinsic knowledge of what's really going on for it to work. Because when you look at two 28-year-old people, that are, you know, early in their careers, both working their ass off making the same money. The guy that's not afraid of big debt on the surface looks a lot wealthier and looks a lot better off than the other 28-year-old that's working the same job, working just as hard, but saving his money and not going into debt. You look at the two of them, you go, these guys don't work at the same job. Look at this guy. This guy's got nice cars. He's got a nice house. right? He's got a trophy wife. The whole nine yards. You look at this other guy and you go, man, he's driving a car. It's a decent car, but it's five years old. And, you know, he's, he's got this house, but it's just uh, it's kind of a modest house. And, uh, you know, he's, uh, he's just just going on with life. And, I mean, he must work like some kind of, you know, you know just uh, middle wage income or something. He can't be making as much money as this other guy. They're making the same money. Go back and look at those two people when they're 38 years old, 10 years later. The guy that looked the most modest may still be in that modest home. And you might even still look at them, and if the guy over here running on the gerbil wheel has been able to keep the gerbil wheel going enough, and if he's been able to you know, climb the corporate ladder and raise his income in concert with his debt, he might still look like he's far ahead. But look at them when they sit down on the couch at night next to their wife or kids 
and how they are as a human being. Look at the stress levels that they have. Look at what they're willing to give up versus what they're not willing to give up. Look at the deals they're willing to make versus the deals they're not willing to make. The 38-year-old that lived that modest life for those 10 years, he's probably not willing to compromise one shred of his integrity or his morals. Not because he's a better man, because he does not have to. Because he's not in a position where he feels he has to. They get to a point where they ask him to do some of the work that he just feels is wrong. Nothing illegal. He would have no case. He couldn't go to get it, you know, get his job back, what have you. But he just doesn't want to do it. You know what he's going to say? I'm not doing it. Now, you do whatever you feel you need to do. The guy that's in debt, he can't afford to. By now, he's got a couple kids. He's got more troubles than he's ever had before. His debt's higher. Now he's got two real shiny, nice uh, SUVs. Now, if you can't see how this all relates to survivalism, I, I guess I'm missing the mark, but I think most people should at this point. Survivalism, again, is about survival in a way that puts you ahead of the people around you who were not prepared. Survival is about not just waking up tomorrow and continuing to breathe oxygen. It's about the survival of you and those around you, and it's about the survival of your family. The 38-year-old that's deeply in debt after 10 years of living a lifestyle that looked better is probably also a lot closer to divorce. And statistics show this to be true. The other family, exact same income, probably has a, a very large amount of cash saved up. A very good investment portfolio. And even if they were not survival-minded, they didn't pay enough attention to economics, and they took a big hit to their 401k plan, they're still waiting 20 years to touch that money. Now, when someone comes out and offers these two people something that improves their security but takes away from their liberty, that makes life a little bit easier, but increases their dependence, who's more likely to say yes to the deal? Who's more likely to say no to the deal? When one of these people end up in a situation where it becomes necessary to make a hard decision, and a hard decision has to be made, who's more likely to think rationally about it and make the right decision? Again, it's not a question of the value of the human being. It's a question of the stress level that the human being is under. In fact, I would tell you that the guy that's deeply in debt might be a more moral, upright guy. He might be a church-going guy every Sunday. right? If he's a Catholic, every holy day of obligation. If you're Catholic, you know what I'm talking about. Right? Everything that you could want in a moral human being, he's still more likely to make a bad decision because of fear. Debt creates dependence, and debt creates fear. Even when you don't think it's fear. Even when you're cruising in that brand new Corvette, you're hauling butt down the highway, weaving in and out of traffic, feeling great. The same thing you're thinking is, did I make a bad decision here? Did I make a terrible decision going into debt on this car? This car, I'm going to owe on this car for 60 months. What if I lose my job tomorrow? That's what's in the back of your head, even when you don't realize it's going on. And as soon as the situation comes up, that screws around with the potential to cause you heartache, you start making bad decisions. And the funny thing is, usually that bad decision leads you to more debt. So I'm going to wrap this up today, and I know I didn't talk about exactly how to get out of debt today. I wanted to motivate you today 
to want to get out of debt. And I want to motivate you, if you are in little debt or no debt, to stay the hell out of debt and not fall for it. And I wanted to you know, kind of point out to you today that survivalism and managing your money are one in the same. All the things that you want to do for your life, you can't do without cash. Right? Some of them I guess you can, but a lot of the things, you know, you can't go out and assemble an arsenal of a .22, a centerfire rifle, a shotgun, and a handgun without money. You can't just go make them. It doesn't work that way. You can't stock up on ammunition. Even though you can garden, you have to have an initial outlaying cost. If you're going to store up food from the grocery store, you need surplus cash. You need to have money. So you need to cut expenses and eliminate debt. That's all I can really say about that. And hopefully that motivates you. And that makes you realize the sane, rational side of survivalism. And hopefully that makes you realize how important the rule is that I gave you today. When you're threatened with a crisis, unless it's going to immediately kill or injure you, the first rule, stop. Stop everything. Let yourself calm down. Take a deep breath, assess the situation, assess your strengths, assess your weaknesses, focus on using your strengths and shoring up your weaknesses, and make a calm, rational decision. You will never make that decision when it comes to economics if you're deeply in debt. So eliminate it, kill it. When I call it cancer, and some people say I'm over the top when I call it cancer, I am not. If you look at the way cancer kills a person and the way debt destroys a person's life, they're absolutely identical. This has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. You can scream and you can holler. It really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.